And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. What's up, hustlers? Welcome back. This is Andrew Morgans, founder of Marknology, here as today's host of Startup Hustle, covering all things e-commerce, Amazon, beyond Amazon, entrepreneurship, you name it. Before we get into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Wix. Our friends at Wix know a thing or two about turning a scrappy startup team into a global organization that serves millions of people, and they want to share what they've learned with startup hustler listeners in their new micro podcast series called Ready for Takeoff by Wix. This is super cool. If you guys know what Wix is, Wix has been helping people become better creators um, uh, with websites and all kinds of things. And, and when you tune into Ready for Takeoff by Wix, you get to hear from Wix founders and company leaders. They share super short lessons to help you build better programs, teams faster. Um, and that's something I can get behind. So subscribe and follow Ready for Takeoff by Wix wherever you listen to this show. Um, and now without further ado, Chad Rubin, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you here. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is um, this is actually our second take on today's uh, podcast. We like really let down some fire last time. And I think we had Maybe it was a power outage or connection issues or something, and um, the episode didn't come through. So we're we're hitting round two. Um, it was such a great conversation. We wanted to, wanted to circle back up, and Chad's so great, gracious with his time to get back on here um, for you listeners to learn really what he has to share today. Um, he's in a remote location. I'll, I'll I'll let him decide if he wants to tell you that, but he he stepped aside to tell us this. I want to get back into Chad's story, um, where it all kind of started, and um, at least the entrepreneurial journey. And um, so, Chad, take us back, take us back again, um, you know, to where you really first started thinking about entrepreneurship or how'd you get into this? Like, was it was it college? Was it like raising an entrepreneurial family? Where's it start? Yeah, so I would say that I, I lived in it growing up with my family. My father owned a vacuum store and struggled. So that was my first glimpse into what being an entrepreneur was, and I really wanted no part of it. So I was a first-generation college grad, decided, okay, let me uh, focus on what my parents' deficiency is, and went into finance. Then went out to mm. Wall Street. Then I got blessed covering internet stocks, of all things, which is where I discovered Amazon and the Amazon marketplace was blowing up. And I started helping my parents start selling their wares on Amazon.com as a reseller. And then got survived three head cuts on Wall Street. This is in the Great Recession of 2009. Right. And uh, so survived, and I was fired. And then it opened up a massive door for me to start my journey. It was a blessing. And, and during the time on Wall Street, you were reselling on the side for, for dad. Is that like, I think you glanced over that, but <laughs> you were kind of like taking their products maybe from the vacuum industry, that kind of like in the early days of Amazon and putting them on or what was happening there? Yeah, they had a lot of excess inventory and I was just helping them list on Amazon. My mom was doing the customer support. My dad was doing the fulfillment. And uh, it was when times were a lot different back in the day. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, that was like, that's like first generation selling activity. 
yeah, 2007, no, I'm 2008, 2009. That was, that was really early. I honestly was um, in a band, in a full-time professional band at that time. Yeah, I was, I was getting paid to, paid, yeah. paid to play guitar, and I didn't have a vision of e-commerce. I think it was 2012 before I got in. So um, quite, a, quite a bit early, and I remember even in 2012, like Amazon was mm, like whispers compared to eBay, uh, at least like – uh, it seemed like it and a lot of people were focusing on ebay doing big stuff on ebay but like amazon mm-hmm. was like you had to have upcs it was kind of like difficulty to entry um so you were early and this is like pre-gold rush yeah yeah and they wouldn't even call it gold rush then but so one thing i think that's interesting about that was somewhere along the way you while you were resisting entrepreneurship or resisting business like you really you you had it in you in, in regards to know what to do um, so early that you take on, like, I'm just going to try this new marketplace. Like I'm, I'm trading stocks and I'm, or working on wall street and I'm going to go help dad. It make, makes me think of Gary V and you know, something that makes something that resonates with me is I, I talked to a lot of guests on the show and a lot of them that grew up, um, or I would say not all of, not everyone that grows up with entrepreneurial family. Some of them are like, I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. I knew this was my thing from day one. Others are like, I hated it. I didn't want to do it. Uh, you know, I, I was going to run and do anything from business. And for me, as growing up in a missionary family, that was me. I, I did the church, religion. No, thank you. I saw it like eat my family apart as far as like the mm. work of it and finances too. finances were if you're in a missionary family, finances are not something you care about. So I ran the other way, too. So I resonate to that. Um so thinking back to to that time, because I I know I know your your history already, so I'm trying not to jump the gun, and I want to make mm-hmm. the story go along there. Um, <laughs> how'd you go from you know um, how'd you go to the next step? How'd you go from kind of just like reselling and 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 that was a side thing, and um, you know getting fired from your job, and then you're just like okay, I'm gonna yeah. do this next thing. Yeah, so I think entrepreneurship is all about digging right? and problem solving and understanding what those challenges are. And so we were merely just resellers. So we had, I mean, yes, in the early days, there was just maybe one person competing against us and we would get the buy box 70% of the time. But as more and more people started to discover this, the buy box percentage started going down. And the next question is like, well, what, what's the next layer of this? And so it's like, hmm, Alibaba going direct. This is already happening, by the way, at that time with like Bonobos, crucial memory, if you remember, like started circumventing CompUSA and Circuit City and selling their stuff direct. So mm. the world was like going direct to consumer. And the question was, was like, how can I go direct to consumer on Amazon, which is now known as the private label business on Amazon? I love it. I, uh, <laughs> I wasn't actually part of the Amazon community when I first learned about private label as well. Um, I was working in the car car parts industry as my first e-commerce uh, first e-commerce gig, and they were like, "Hey, we have all these distributors and parts. Figure out how to put these on eBay and Amazon um, in no particular order." And uh, we just kept getting shut down by certain distributors. And my boss was kind of snark, snaky, like really. I, I mean, he was he ended up in prison. So to put that in perspective, uh, not with me, but like later on, and because he was just he would do different things, and so he was always trying to like lower price below map. And, um, I really learned how to do what I do now by working for someone that was making us bend the rules, you know, and, and it was, mm. um, you know, it was things like tono covers and like, uh, big ticket items like that, where if we lowered the price, we would, we would get a bunch of sales, bushwhacker, 
stuff like that. And then he was like, well, let's go to China and just do our own. We can do our own. He was kind of one of those like real alpha type of guys. And um, definitely not the approach I would take today, but it was something that was just like, you can just go to China and just create a brand. And, you know, when you're not, I guess when you don't grow up around brands or something like that, it's completely different to think about. Um, so you're solving problems. You're, you're, you're mm-hmm. sourcing, you're sourcing your own brands. Uh, it's taking off. Like, how did you know about like branding? I know you knew about like vacuums and parts and selling stuff like that and listing product, but how did you start being like, I'm going to package a brand and do uh, this thing? You know, well, I mean, I, it's hard to build a brand when you're selling <laughs> vacuum filters and coffee filters and air filters. Uh, I would say that it was just, you know, I was helping my father at a very young age with his store. So I would work there on the weekends. And that's kind of, I think, how I got that, that creative spark. I would actually help him build windows, like help him display in the window various different okay. things and change the assortment pattern of when people walk in, how they come into his store. So I was just exposed to that at a very young age. And when I discovered this problem of, okay, resellers, direct consumer, how do you solve for that? It just it just came to me, right? It was like, okay, how do I build something substantially better than whatever whatever exists today? And can I solve this problem? Do I have the do I have it in me, the experience in me to solve it? And it just we were I was super duper early. So it was like kind of being at the right place at the right time and being lucky and putting forth the effort to make it happen. Heck yeah. Um... So mar- margins back then were like Product margins were like ninety percent. I'm not gonna lie; like it was like software margins back then, and that's not what's happening today. Yeah, it's gotten harder. Um, okay, so from there, you're 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 getting parts, you're getting great margins. You're like, this is working. I guess I do have it in me. I'm early. Like, wow, this is keep going, going, going. Um, inventory software, nothing like that existed for sellers at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's very archaic. It was, it was, it was uploading spreadsheets with tracking numbers. Sometimes if they were coming over from distributors that way, it was, you know, waking up, setting my alarm at 2am when I was at that startup, I legit had to get up at 2am to enter tracking numbers. Um, and we'll go back to bed for my boss. Um, how, how'd you start solving some of these things like early on? Well, I'm, I'm going to give you a bad example, which is it's like building muscle. Right. And so you build, you build, you build, and finally your your body looks good, and your body has some muscle memory too on top of it, from like when I was younger, and so I just had a very ruthless focus and obsessive focus to make this work and to make it happen. So initially, we had our own warehouse. I had roughly about thirty employees in the warehouse. We were using an iPad. We tried every inventory software out there, and that's where I came up with the first new idea, which was, okay, we're selling on Amazon, we're selling eBay. At the time we were on Volusion, then we went to Magento, then we went to Shopify. I'm dating myself now. No, Magento is disgusting. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And um, so I was like, okay, well, there's no software out there that can actually like, there are a lot of them are point solutions. A lot of them can't work with my transaction volume unless I spend a million dollars and go with something like NetSuite. So started thinking about building Stubana and we started building from that point. So I was like running a product business and building a software business simultaneously at the same time. I know it makes you feel like you're absolutely losing your mind. At least me when I'm 
working on these projects and jumping between the different things. But it's like, I need, I need this to get this. I need this to get this. And it kind of just all starts happening as you start plugging holes. Um, you know, we're standing up a warehouse and that's, that's the life I'm living. Thankfully there's some software that already exists out there because of, uh, you know, leaders like Scubana. Um, but it's still like, okay, what's the next thing? And you don't know the next thing until you've done it before. You know, you don't know what the next thing is. And you just start getting in this mindset of like, well, no one really knows what the next thing is when you're innovating. Uh, you just, you're innovating. And whether you're innovating in your own little business or you're innovating like in an industry, I think the same things apply. Um, so like, I think that's interesting, right? Because like innovation, yes, you solve a problem. And then you come across first mover advantage that has a short, uh, a very short window for you to execute on. Because like there's always somebody that's behind you that wants mm. to replace you. So like in the product business, like I, I just knew that there was a short shelf life. And even in the inventory space, right? Like we had competitors come out after us and they're there's constantly competitors around. And even with my newest venture, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, um, I'm already thinking like, okay, I got to move. I got to move quick. I got to innovate. I got to keep moving. We got to hustle. We got to push. And that is really what I've been doing my entire career. Mm, I know. And and for me, on a personal level, taking that one step further, like even, even understanding that you're at a retreat right now and um, doing a lot of mindset stuff um, for your health. And like, for me, it's been, well, push, 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 push my whole life. Like, I mean, I'm from, I'm from the dirt, uh, bootstrapped, paid my way through college, bought my own car, like all that kind of stuff. You know, you just, you're pushing, you're, you're working hard. Um, in entrepreneurship, it's been like, okay, I'm on this Amazon thing early. Even, even being in, being in it 11 years, there's people before me and there's people after me. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's, you're in a silo and you're like, okay, I've got to, why, why this is a thing I've got to push before, Gen Z's here or before the next gen or before. Um, and I think that you can go your whole life. This is something that I'm like constantly learning. Uh, you think you learn it and then you, you've got it for a year and then you forget it. You got to relearn it. <laughs> yeah. You know, but it's like pushing is not the way, right? Like it's like mm. you track the right things to you. Um, so like being a pusher out of survival mode uh, and then trying to learn to like more so let things come to me that should, that should, that are meant for me uh versus like versus pushing and i think there's a fine balance to it i, I would love yeah to let's that. yeah let's talk about that it's really interesting so growing up i had nothing I very i think we had a very similar experience maybe somehow a little bit dysfunctional or we were missing something in that experience as a child where our adolescence and so i i came from this like scarcity mindset and mm. the scarcity mindset is playing to not lose and with now I have three sales under my belt, which is really nice. And in this specific business with Prophecy, I'm trying to build something back differently and better with a mindset of how do I play to win? Like what does playing to win look like? Not playing to lose and having a much more abundance mindset. And I think that comes with like doing a lot of the self-work and the coaching and that work that I did uh, is helping me. And like I constantly need more reminders of that, right? And like you said, you, you you learn it, you lose it, but it's like riding a bike, you get back on. And sometimes you just need a break away to to really bring like bubble that up inside of you to, to bring that back into your consciousness. Wow. I just um that just hit me. The you know, playing to not lose. Um I'm 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 sure I've heard that before, but I'm not I think it just hit me today. Um 
And just thinking about that, I mean, I'm just racking my brain about like the difference in the strategy between playing to win and playing to not lose. Um, and in so many areas of my life, I, I play to win. I really do. Mm. I play to win. I don't even think about losing. I don't think of it as an option. And in other areas, I'm playing to not lose. Um, mm. and, and why, do, you know, what, whether that's difficulties or scarcity, mind, whatever the, the cause is that, that forces on some areas and not in others is um, something I'm going to have to think through. But maybe we found the title to our episode because I think there's a lot of meat in that. Um, you know, whether you're on, whether you're a first mover, that's always been my advantage because I'm the David versus Goliath, smaller smaller character by the time the, the big ones come you know i gotta be out in front i gotta be out in front mm -hmm. um or i'm gonna get smashed by the crowd i gotta be out in front i gotta hit this guy first because if he hits me i'm done i'm skinny you know like that kind of thinking um and i think that it's it's that transition phase um you know you're in a you're in a stage if i can if i can speak plainly that's like you've sold three exits three exits now which is like i met i met you at prosper which we haven't mentioned yet, but that was how I was introduced to you as one of the original founders of Prosper. And then we started talking, I learned about Scubana. So, you know, that kind of, that kind of thing. Um, now we're talking about prophecy. Uh, and I think you said three, so there, there's another one in there. Um, maybe it was the, the yeah, I had an agency, Amazon I had business. An ag I okay. had an agency wholesale business. I still have my Amazon e-com business and I'm using that as like a, it really dog foods and incubates new ideas. Which is pretty I love cool. That. Yeah, I have one too. That's like people, my apparel company. That is an e-commerce business. That you know, honestly, it's it's under a million dollars. It's always been under a million dollars a year. Uh, but it's something I just get to test all my stuff on. So that that's a that's a brilliant idea. Um, okay, so where do I where do I go from here? Because honestly, you you derailed me. I think that's just a thought that I just want to keep thinking about. And I'm like, I I need to move on with Chad. But we, we've <laughs> talked about. Um, Scubana. Let's talk about Prosper a little bit, just because that's part of your, I think that's part of creating the industry that we're now talking about. Um, talk to me about how that happened along the way. Yeah. So uh, running my e-com company, I had a awesome advisor at Amazon. This is back in the day when you actually had people you can talk to, like real human beings that want to enable you and empower you on the platform. And that was James Thompson. So we stayed in touch. I actually talked to him today and we stayed in touch and I was like, hey, I'm building this new software and I know you sold a lot of stock at Amazon. You were very early at amazon.com and what do you think about joining and joining the seed round as, as an investor and being helpful as an advisor? So he was like, oh, I'm in. And then he's like, well, I'm working on something pretty interesting too. I want to start a, this conference for Amazon brands and merchants. And I was like, I'm in. And so it was just staying in touch and, and, and having him part of my network and part of my community. And really, uh, I would say like the way that we've always worked together was, I guess you can frame it in this way. When you go to a party, right? There's two types of people. There's people that come to the party and say, where's the beer? Mm. There's some people that come to the party and say, I brought the beer. And so I was always trying to deliver James value and like, how can I help you? How can I be supportive? How can I help you flourish as a person? And I think we just aligned in that way and built really t some great stuff together in this ecosystem. No, I love that. And that's so true. There's people that, I mean, there's givers and takers, you know, there's givers and takers. And um, you start to realize that whether it's in your relationships or in business or in, um, you know, whatever it can be. I was thinking about 
just my own journey and your journey being a couple years behind you, but we're a lot of times we're, we go, all go through the same things just in different order, I feel like. And, you know, that's why, that's why it's great to have great friends around you because they might've done it two years before and you might've done some, you might've made a mistake two years before them that you can help them with. And, um, you know, it's, it's give take and you don't mind taking if you're also, if they allow you to get, you know, and that's, that's, that's probably what James has been for you. And I'm thinking about just prophecy, right? I'm thinking about prophecy and probably um, how exciting it is to go about this with experience because you feel like in some ways there's a little less fear when you know what you're doing, uh, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, for me, as someone that like did a lot of these things on Amazon early, SEO, agency stuff, like, you know, now there's like tons of, tons of agencies after us doing the same thing. Um, and learning those things at the beginning was super exciting for me, learning how to rank products, learning how to like, you know, intentionally get your PPC, uh, like, you know, raising rank and things like that. Just these little, these little nuances of it is, has always been my, I love it. I'm on the, I'm the actual nerd, so to speak. And, um, I've been working a little bit on these different off Amazon funnels and like, you know, influencer plays and like some of that kind of stuff. And it's been a lot of fun recently for me uh, as someone that's been trying to just work on scale and building the team and kind of all these processes to then be creating again. Talk to me about prophecy because um, I think our listeners deserve to know what's out there and what's coming. I actually actually spoke about prophecy in a call yesterday because uh, pricing came up and I said, there's actually some really great stuff out there. And um, kind of explain some of that where it's not just about the buy box. It's about like understanding where your price fits in the market. And um, someone's asking if we could do that. And I said, well, there's some software that does that. So I gave you a little plug yesterday. That's awesome. Um, Appreciate that. Yeah, but tell me about Prophecy and tell me about what it feels like, you know, with those projects done, like tabled, closed, sold them, now being able to focus on this one and kind of really innovate again. You know, how's that feel? Yeah. So to, so let me start with what Prophecy is and then I'll back into maybe how it feels and even some of the mistakes and how I'm looking at this business going forward. So Amazon, Expedia, Uber, hedge funds, they use dynamic pricing all the day and they optimize every penny of profit. And so starting Prophecy, now we're giving Amazon brands that same superpower. So as you know, right, Amazon shoppers leave behind a lot of clues, their behaviors, their preferences, their searches, even their reviews. And I guess how I thought about this was, well, I have 500 private label SKUs on Amazon. I have a thousand listings. How do I know that I'm not leaving money on the table? Mm -hmm. So I started experimenting and seeing, oh, like, let me shift price up. Like, how do I consider my reviews of my competitors and the quality of the reviews and the quantity of the reviews and the recency of reviews? And are they FBA or not FBA? And what if they react to my price, but I didn't look at it on the previous day? So there's like all these like crazy things that need to happen from a human being to try to actually price perfection to do it constantly. So instead, I was like, okay, how do I actually solve this at scale and do it appropriately? And so we started building a true algorithm and i'm saying true because there's a lot of softwares out there that are pushing i would say like just logic that's masquerading as ai it's mm -hmm. not true ai it's not true data science which really is crappy uh but it's been happening for a long time in our space and so prophecies ai analyzes all these data points and i just named a few but also brings in your competitors in real time combines machine learning statistical science and behavioral economics to pinpoint the optimal price. I love and it. So with Prophecy, you can actually optimize your revenue 
and improve profit contribution without sacrificing BSR automatically with our platform. I love it. Yeah. I'm well, tell me how. Excited. Tell me how it's. Tell me. Tell me how it feels to like create something that's authentic and that's like taking kind of all the experience that you've had before. You wouldn't have been able to build prophecy from the beginning. You know, I, I have no doubt if like before you've done everything else to get to get here um, so that you can think about all of the different areas that play into that. Um, what's it feel like innovating again and, and really kind of um, being a front runner? Yeah. So a few things is uh, I'm coming from a point where I have cushion now, which is different than I've ever felt in my life. So that's very different. I still have the feeling of failure, but not failing I'm not like losing everything, but failing perhaps like even in front of my son. Uh, and you know, I've talked to people about that. And one of the things, one of my takeaways is, is that it could be good for my son to see failure, right? Like maybe yeah. he shouldn't see just affluence and abundance all the time. Um, I know I'm going into a little bit of detail on that, but I just, I'm openly sharing with you, right? We're no. having a very open conversation about it. Please and do. So like at Stubana, it was 2000 days, over 2000 days. So it wasn't like an overnight success. It was seven years. Uh, some days were painful and some days were magnificent. And there was a lot of high highs and there was a lot of low lows. And um, one of the things I started doing was journaling around the mistake framework or like what, what, do, what mistakes do I not want to make? Like how do I want to build back differently from a different place, from a different mind space, from a different heart space, from a different space in general. Um, because like in the last business, I had everything to lose. I had invested my own capital, $2 million. I raised from families and family and friends. I had a lot of pressure to, <laughs> to monetize this platform. And I, I still feel pressure, but self-inflicted pressure. Mm. And I think that's a very important delineation. So... But anyway, so like SaaS, just, I mean, products is a hard business, but I think SaaS is probably one of the hardest businesses you can run um, because you're essentially building, selling, building some more, selling, acquiring customers. It's not just you buy low and sell high. And so, uh, look, we, it came with a lot of costly mistakes and uh, some mattered more than others. But at the end of the day, um, I'm using those mistakes as a framework to build this differently. So one of the things I did when I sold Subano is I took, I call it the great reset. I took some time to just like come into my body and come into myself to spend time with my family. I hired some coaches. I think I might've shared that with you on the last, the first take we did together. I hired like 10 coaches or something crazy. I was like, okay, what, what's the one thing that can be the highest ROI to myself to come out of this differently and better than before. Because if I just go and start another company right now, I will not be, I'll be unchanged. I won't be different than the person that, it's, that ran Skewana. Like, it's, like, it's like being in a, a relationship that, you know, you get heartbroken or, you know, it ends poorly or it even ends great, but you, you have, and you jump right back into another relationship, right? Like there's okay. no time to like reset and like find yourself and like, okay, what did I learn from that? And what do I want out of the next one? And how am I going to be better for the next one? And yeah. Totally. So spent a lot of time working on myself. I call it, uh, also it's like the, being the CEO of myself. I've been the CEO for the company, for stakeholders, for investors, for employees. And this was just purposeful time for me. And it was awesome. I love that. Yeah, it was great.
And and then I, when I was ready, which I discovered that I'm definitely not a stay-at-home dad, uh, I was ready to jump back in the ring. So I, I sold in April. I resigned in October. And December, I started up, at least raised a little bit of money for this new venture. And then just recently, last week, announced the 2.3 million in seed funding. I love it. And I'm glad that we got the retake because we get to, you know, announce it. Um, that's, that's huge. And did you raise, did you raise any funding for the other softwares or the other businesses before this one? Oh yeah. yeah I mean, Stubana, okay. I put in my own money, 2 million plus I put in, uh, I had friends and family. I didn't have the track record I have now. And so gave up a lot of more equity and friends and family again, some of my best friends and best family members came in to invest. And so even when I had holiday dinners and celebrate Hallmark days together, the question always was, Chad, what's wrong with Stubana? What's going on? What's happening? And there were some really dark times at the company. There were some amazing times and we sold at an amazing time. And this time I just have one investor and uh, he's he's the same investor I had from I did our series A at Stubana and came in. His name is Neil with defy.vc and doubled down in this business. I love it. When can people, you know, get a first look at prophecy? So by the way, a lot of people think it's prophecy, it's prophecy. It's spelled P-R-O-F-A-S-E-E. And essentially it's predicting the future with some level of certainty. The we have a massive data list right now, which I feel very grateful for and blessed to have. But you just go to the website, request access, and fill in the information. And so we're we're bringing batches of people at a time into the beta. So there is a wait list. Uh, I'm on like, it. So I, I think I signed up for the first time. So I'm, I'm on somewhere <laughs> in the middle of that list. <laughs> nice. So we're rolling out batches over time. And, you know, they're dropping probably every, like, two weeks, I would say. Okay. And they're rolling. Applications are rolling. So, you know, you request access, you'll still be considered in a later batch. I love it. I love it. It's something that honestly, like, I just want to give some to our listeners, like, uh, and this is something that I have friends in other industries and they, they compliment me on. I don't really even think about it like that, but I, I notice because they tell me that, that, you know, it makes me aware of it, but I spend thousands, tens of thousands of dollars testing software all the time to, to figure out what's best for my clients, what's best for my customers, what's best for my team. Because there's all different types of software, you know, how do we get more efficient? And there's no way you know unless you're just out there, um, you know, spending money to try stuff. And and you have to test and innovate and fail and test, innovate and fail. And um, you know, for people thinking about trying it, for people thinking about getting involved, and like you don't you don't know what you don't know. And you know, I think a lot of a lot of brands will be like, oh, Amazon's too expensive or too cheap for my products, or or I can't raise our price. Oh my god, look at our competitors, or you know, yada yada yada. But basically, like you, you won't know the effects of something until you try it. And it's something I'm pushing all the time when I'm talking to Amazon sellers is, is they get very comfortable if they've found success doing something a certain way. Um, but you, you got to try something new. Prophecy is, Prophecy is a, new, um, a new look on Amazon selling that I don't think we've seen before. It's going to be really awesome. Yeah. So I just want to double click into that. The first thing is that Every seller is trying to figure out what their ACoS is and they're spending money to try to drive more revenue. Maybe they're cutting some expenses because like right now we're in this, I would say like the the darker period for Amazon, right? Like e-commerce in general has gotten a lot harder. 
mm-hmm. it was. So, so like right now, the one thing there's a, only a few levers to pull, and like the smallest lever swings big door, doors, and that is pricing. And Amazon's changing their price. I, f- I forgot what the stat is exactly, and I can like look it up. Uh, Amazon, I just recently read this. They're changing prices on its product about every 10 minutes. So essentially, it's 2.5 million times a day. So on average, the product's cost will change about every 10 minutes. And so like Amazon is just a massive commodity marketplace. And you have conversion windows, high conversion windows or high session windows that you can be changing small increments of price to maximize and arbitrage price differentials and to maximize profitability. And really, that's what we've been able to do. And in our cohort of results, we've been able to show 10%, at least 10% increase in profit, which is I love it. amazing, especially for an Amazon business right now that's getting crushed. 10% more of profit. Like If you're doing $100,000 of profit and 10%, that's $10,000. You annualize that, that's uh, 1.2 million of profit, or sorry, not 1.2, dollars of profit. You apply a three to four X EBITDA force multiplier on there. And like that increases enterprise value. So anyway, I'm like really, really excited about it. Um, I'm like, like you said, I think it's white space. Nobody's been able to do this, but I really want to focus on a very hard problem. And so far it's working. I love it. I'm, I'm honestly like very excited. This is, you know, as a full service agency, as someone that actually cares about this stuff, as someone that has sold myself as I'm not just a PPC agency. Like if I improve your supply chain, if I improve your conversion rate, if I improve um, your in-stock rate, if I improve your brand referral fee discount because like you were driving Facebook uh, traffic without knowing that you could have this 10% there, you, you know, you, you shrink their pack sizes or double their pack size to get more profit. All of these moves, right, that any advanced Amazon seller knows, they all play into the game. Amazon's a bunch of dials. And, you know, the, the more you have them all dialed in, the better they all work together. Um, you tell me when you're uh, releasing this for Airbnb as well, because I could really use a great tool on the Airbnb side. Um, I play with some of the tools. I just don't think they're that great. Um, yeah. But, you know, price, pricing is something that we do as an agency. We just, we just have to do it manually with sellers, right? We raise it by a dollar, look at results. You know, it's slow in that regard. But um, on the real estate side, my, my roommate, my best friend, I have another business in real estate, uh, property management and Airbnbs and bank loans or interest rates or uh, refinancing rates or they change I'm sure just as frequently, you know, it can be like, Hey, I had it. We went to look again. It's, it's changed. Um, you take an extra day or an extra weekend to, to get some paperwork in and, and, you know, it's changed a couple of percents, which over a, you know, $300,000 home can be a lot of money. Um, so the, the big ones, the pros, the ones that have had all this data are, are doing these kinds of things and they have been for a long time. Um, it's, it's going to be cool to level the playing field. I didn't know you were doing Airbnb. That's pretty cool. I'm doing some Airbnb work too, so we should definitely like collab on that. I've been doing it about um, four years, so um, have learned and failed and been through a pandemic and came out on the other side. And um, so, you know, tried tried a lot of different things. I've lost money one month for any investors or myself or whatever. So um, I love I love the Airbnb business model. It's not for everyone. Once you start trying to scale it, is where really where the I think the difficulty comes in. Uh, it's, it's a little different if you're just doing one or two and you're, you know, you're jumping over there. But if you start trying to scale it or be out of city or um, 
you know, quality of life, like we, we didn't talk about that much this show, but quality of life has been my, my motivation, uh, besides family and taking care of family for the eight years I've been doing this on my own. And, um, meaning I would love to be, uh, have an Airbnb in a location that's super quiet where you talk to everyone that's walking on the street and you're just, there's no technology. And, um, you know, I think people would kill for that. And so, um, whether you're innovating in e-commerce or, or real estate, Airbnb is the same model as e-commerce. So that for me, it's totally. just a fit. Yeah. And uh, I guess I can share with the listeners now, you, you had alluded to earlier that I was on a retreat. So I'm in this area right now speaking to you. It's called Serenby. So it's a combination of serenity and to be together. So Serenby, S-E-R-E-N-B-E.com. And uh, it's a community that really, it's called an agrohood. And it focuses on like nature and community together. And the way that they've built this place is impeccable. It's like really just a perfect place to come back to your roots and come back to simple, uncomplicated life and connect with other people in a more human way than social media. I and love so it. At the end of the, we're just animals, here. you know? So no, yeah, no, go ahead. Like just that connecting part is like something we miss. So just like a few examples I'll share. The front porches are very close to the curb and everyone has a front porch and people sit out and have breakfast on it and walk their dogs and their kids are out in the street playing and everyone has a golf cart or an electric vehicle. Uh, there's the, uh, the plants on the street are a lot of them are edible plants or medicinal plants. Okay. And even garbage, like even to the point of garbages. So in New York where I used to live, there'd be a garbage on the street. Everyone brings out their garbage every Monday and Thursday, and then they pull their garbage pails back in. The garbages are built into the, into the ground. So they don't affect the beauty of the magnificent architecture that's been created on this, on this space. So you just like get into these conversations. It just, they force interaction in a way that's really just natural here. And you get into these conversations that go on for two hours and you're like, oh my God, I just forgot I had a podcast coming up or a webinar or whatever it is, but it's, it's a super dope place. And I just encourage everyone to check it out. I'm trying to picture a trash can built into the ground and I can't, <laughs> um, but it sounds amazing. And I love, I honestly, like one of my favorite things is just like, you know, living intentionally and living a life by design. And I mean, um, you can, you can, you can choose like whatever life you want. I, I did grow up in a place that's like out of this world um, in a different kind of way in Africa. And it just, I've lived my whole life knowing that there's an entirely different way to live, even though this is like, you know, the, the path for us here as Americans or to anyone listening is like pretty set for us, like at least as far as who came before us. Um, but there's this other way to live and it, and um, there they're very creative with the way that they make things work. They might make a car door be, um, you know, a, a, a tire swing, you know, you just don't know. You saw all these different things being used for different things. And what, what would the world be if we all just took the time to like do that in our own personal space in our own world and be like, how can I just be more in touch with nature, more in touch with my friends, more in touch with my family? Um, I have a couple, I have a couple questions I want to round out with Chad that I've been saving for us. But before we do, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Wix. Yes, the website and business building platform. They know a thing or two about turning a scrappy startup team into a global organization serving millions of people. And they want to share what they've learned with you in a few new micro podcast series called Ready for Takeoff by Wix. The company founders and leaders share short 
lessons designed to help you build better products and teams faster. Subscribe and follow Ready for Takeoff by Wix right now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the show. Um, Chad, I think last time we, we went over, and so I'm trying to hold us to time here for anyone that's in their car listening to our episode. You talked about, we've talked about prophecy. We've talked about, you know, a lot of the stuff you have going on. We've talked about, um, you know, family and mindset and innovation and being a, being a, um, being a front runner, being a trailblazer. We talked about, so this is a personal ask, but we talked about like, you know, you said you keep focusing on, we failed. Um, you know, I failed a lot, a lot of high highs and a lot of low lows and, um, you know, running from entrepreneurship and the fear of failure and doing this one differently from a place of abundance instead of, um, you know, playing to not lose. And for me, um, and I think a lot of listeners, you know, like when I post on social media that I'm angry or I post like just whatever's on my mind or my heart sometimes, um, it seems like I get the most response and I get the most feedback and I get the most, you know, the most engagement with my posts. And I hate that. There's a part of me that hates that, that people are only paying attention when I seem upset or sad or something like that. And I'm a very positive person. Um, so it's just, it's something that's been, been weighing on me. And I think that people like to listen to our failures because it's something we can all relate to. It's something that everyone has in common. Um, and speaking of that failure piece, and for me, um, when I'm the hardest, you talked about where it comes from, it's a fear of failure and it's mainly self-imposed. Okay. It's mainly like coming out of my head and most people wouldn't care. Most people don't care. Uh, they're barely thinking about us anyway. Um, for me, it's like, you know, my dad made these choices to, to bring me to a war zone, to bring me to, um, you know, a place where there was a lot of danger to take me from my friends or to take me from, uh, I could have had these scholarships or, you know, I've worked through that. I've worked through that. And, um, it was something that I lived my life to be like, I'm going to protect the family. I'm going to make these decisions that set me up for success and that set anyone up for success. How there's this, there's this fine line of like, when, I don't, I don't want to have these same, these same things happen. And so for me, a lot of times it's, it's choosing a business relationship that I shouldn't have chosen. I, you know, I should have been able to tell that this person was not a great person or this wasn't a good idea or this wasn't the right direction to take. Everyone's watching. Um, and it's really that little moment of being like, oh, I'm just like the person I wasn't trying to be that I think is where that internal dialogue really crushes me um, when I've made a similar mistake that I've built my life not trying to make. And I would love just closing, closing thoughts from you on, um, you know, because those triggers are there with everyone. Uh, we all have, you know, the triggers don't go away. And instead it's muscles that then become, how do I adapt and how do I grow from this and how do I push through these things, um, and grow to be a bigger man. And I would just love closing thoughts on, on, um, how you've grown through that and how you process, you know, those failures when they do happen. Yeah. So a business partner once told me. Uh, my old co-founder at Stevana said, people always deviate back to their norm. And that always stuck with me because I wondered why and if that's the case. And I think that you have to be super conscious and anchored in your heart to change, to like change your outcome. Like you said, if you make one mistake in a moment, it has a chance to influence other moments many other moments in your life. And so being like very conscious of like those moments specifically and not making decisions rashly, I would say. I definitely, first of all, I journal every 
often, very often. Um, but I'm in I'm in a group uh, with other folks that I that inspire me, that support me, that help me win. And I think winning breeds more winning. So mm. this group that I'm in, it's uh, seven people. We are forced to journal and like really go deep and really share family, business, personal stuff that's happening and allows for a lot of reflection. That really keeps me super focused and super, um, I would say, like aligned, like having complete alignment and being able to like manifest this unshakable trust in myself that I'm making the right choice and the right decision. So it's just coming from a very different place than than where it's coming from previously. And again, it's constantly being surrounded by that and thinking about it and journaling on it and talking about it so that I could have more highlights than lowlights. Like there's always going to be lowlights, always. Yeah. Right? It's just, it's it's important to have more highlights than lowlights, right? That's so, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Hopefully that answers some of your question. I mean. No, I have one more follow-up question because this is something that I've become just aware, you know, you become aware and it's always been easier for me to see fear in other people or to see, you know, insecurities or things I've worked through that I am aware of for myself that I've learned through and I can see it in others. You know, it's just way harder in ourselves. There's almost like these blinders. Um, But, and I have, I have a supportive group. I have a therapist and these kinds of things. And that's, you know, when you're talking about that, the group of seven feels like therapy in regards, but it's not a business person. It's not, my therapist doesn't inspire me. You know, that's a little bit of difference in that um, she's there to just give me feedback and, and things like that. These are all entrepreneurs. Just so you know, like this group is an entrepreneur group. That's what I was assuming. So that's amazing. Um, But I'm sure you didn't always have that. Um. So, so, so for me, like with, and I have, I have these groups, um, but I'm thinking about, for me, it became, okay, the high highs, I'm a high, high person. I'm, I'm, I'm passionate. Um, I chase innovation. You chase things like this. You go all in, you're going to have high highs without like expecting the low lows, which is just ignorant to, to not think that, you know, you can have high highs and then what your lows are middle lows. Um, You know, you either like risk high and lose low like in that way. And so as I become more aware of that, it's more accepting. Um, But if someone doesn't have the group, I guess this is for anyone listening that doesn't have a group like that yet, you know, um, and and I'm a journaler as well. What's something that they can do to kind of like get it out of their head and into like uh, something that they can digest and be aware of and and try to move past. Did you have any tips before the group? No, I kind of felt on an Island to be honest. Yeah. So that's real talk. Definitely didn't didn't have it. Um, feel like this is a superpower. So if yeah. you don't have it, you should probably seek seek it out, right? Like, what? Who are five people that can be in your inner circle that can be supportive, that you can be vulnerable with, that you can open up with, that can help you rewrite your belief system? And some many times, I'll say I'll speak on my own behalf is that like we have limiting beliefs mm. and we're capable of achieving so much more. Like we're only we're only using 10% of our brains in the current moment right now. So if you think about that, like there's such a chance to activate further potential and to make such a massive impact. And I'll tell you that like I'm also a happy person, but I have high highs. But when I boy, when I have a low low, psh, 
it's bad. Low. It's yeah. low. It's really low. And like I'm, I get I get shaken, right? And at that point, you got to go back to the well. Uh, and the well is your heart, but also the people that you surround yourself with to like give you that that green juice shot. No, I love that. That's real talk. That's great advice. And I think that, I think even just saying that it's a superpower and that everyone has it and that you were a solo alone wolf is like, is, is great feedback for people that, um, you know, might not see that. And not all of us have the same advantages. Like, uh, as everyone else, we have different advantages, different disadvantages. Some people are like, Hey, I'm a, I'm an even kill. And, you know, and they're just able to just like keep going. Cause they don't have those high highs and low lows. And for me, it's been about, um, before the groups, it was just about surrounding myself with a friend or, or someone that, you know, someone that was really, um, independent when I was like, you know, I had codependent tendencies, uh, to, to latch on to certain things and mm. I would not codependent, codependent tendencies in my opinion, but I would get around really independent people. Or if I was super uptight, I'd get around kind of hippie minded people. And, um, for me right now, you know, you're at the, you're at that community. And what I thought about was, I'm really trying to get back in touch in this technical world where I use my brain for logic and data analysis, and data science and all this kind of stuff in e-commerce where you're trying to just analyze problems and predict things um, to get more in tune with my primal nature, you know, in my gut and mm -hmm. um, that animalistic side of us. It's not always a bad thing. You know, it's a it's a natural thing. It's a you know, it's a part of us. And so being in a community with nature. Um, that's why I took this trip to Portugal. I've taken a trip to Costa Rica, the jungle, and you'd just be surprised how um, that intuition that comes whenever you're in tune with your surroundings and your your where you're living and nature um, just to me makes me feel very healthy, makes me feel very healthy. It makes me feel like um, I can trust myself for whatever comes. Um, that's something that I'm working on is that kind of like um, getting out of that brain. Yeah, we only use 10%, but like, let me out, let me out a little bit and let me just like feel some things and feel and experience, um, you know, experience the sun, uh, smell new things. And, totally. and uh, in a world where we're hiding from everyone because the world sucks. And, you know, I think it's a good time to just like get back in tune with that and, and, and trust your gut. And, and a rapper would say that's the flow state. Okay. Right? Like you, dis you disconnect to connect and you get into this like flow state where it's just like unstoppable rhyming. It just comes to you, right? It just flows through you. And that's a really special place to be in. I love it. Chad, I'll this... leave you with one last thing. I hosted a dinner recently, a founder's dinner. And okay. uh, I do it like Jeffersonian style. And Explain uh, that. Explain that to me. Jeffersonian style dinner. It's not adhering to every principle of a Jeffersonian dinner. But essentially, Jeffersonian dinner is there's like one topic at the at the dinner table, one topic. Everyone's mind power goes on one topic, and it's it has a, a massive benefit. Right? I think it's a lot of times you go to dinners they're underwhelming, they don't activate potential. You don't leave a better person than when you began there. And I'm I'm just seeking something else. I'm seeking a much more overwhelming experience than an underwhelming yeah. experience. Living I, living it. Full tilt, as they say. By the way, and that's like that. This stuff lights me up. Like community interaction, deep conversations. I live for this. So I host. So instead of like going to these dinners that are just tired and purposeless, I decided to host one. So I pay for everything. I invite everybody. Uh, there's a couple of people there from the Amazon world, and like people from all over, and uh, I, I 
I have a prompt right at the dinner that I share in advance. And that prompt, at least for this specific dinner, which I thought was really a good prompt, is the same one that Peter Thiel uses from zero to one. It is, what is one belief that you have that very few people have? Mm. And um, I'm just sharing this because we were talking about high highs and high lows. And trust me, there's, I'm, I'm bringing it full circle. And by the way, like I'm the facilitator. I'm a very active facilitator. And I've, there's a great book I read called The Art of Gathering, which helps me facilitate. And essentially... The idea here is like open our hearts at this dinner table to new ideas, aha moments, uh, good controversy, like heat, right? Good positive heat and not to just preserve harmony. So we want to activate ourselves and be thoughtful. Don't play to and... not lose. Don't play to not lose, right? Exactly. So we're like taught to not talk about sex and politics and religion at the dinner table. And this is just stripping all of that away. It's saying, hey, mm. let's have, let's like, let's progress forward. We can be polite. We, but we don't have to have this like unhealthy piece at the dinner table, right? Let's do, let's dig deep. So anyway, this one guy, I'm not going to share his name just under confidentiality, but he shares the concept and I was like blown away by it. He was like, okay, so most people try to, at the end of their life, when you interview somebody at the end of their life and you ask them about their life and you ask them for their bio, they're sharing the high highs and the high lows. That's their story. That's like the, the arc of the story of your life is these high highs and high lows. And so what he was saying is that like most people, right, we're sitting here and we're like, maybe we're trying to find peace and we're trying to find that like even place to just be settled and be calm. Maybe that's actually not really what we want. And that doesn't actually define life in itself. And what defines life is actually hitting those high highs and hitting those lows. And that becomes your story of your life. And I was like, that is so beautiful. I loved it. And it was like such a good takeaway for me. Uh, so like he pushes himself to actually reach high highs. And of course, with that comes low lows, right? Because like you push higher, right? You're the, the, the barometer for, for, for failure is kind of coming with you. And so you're failing at a higher low in a way. And he seeks to challenge himself and challenge himself and challenge himself so he can actually hit higher highs. And that just inevitably comes with lower lows. And I just wanted to share that as closing thoughts that I thought were just awesome. That's incredible, Chad. Um, I think I believe that and I've never put it into words, but um, I've just had high highs and I've been like, this is something that I want everyone to have, or this is something that I want more of. And it doesn't have to be like this one-time experience. Like we took a vacation and it was amazing. And next year we're going to take another vacation and it'll be amazing. It was just like, I want a lifetime of, of those highs and how do I get it again? Um, that's, that's something I I'm going to research, I think, cause I'm sure there's some books on that somewhere out there uh, about chasing that, but this has been incredible. I think what a, an amazing way to close the show and to, to any of our listeners um, to leave them with that final thought and, and to our, to our sponsor, once again, today's episode of startup puzzle is sponsored by Wix. Are you an entrepreneur or founder trying to figure out how to successfully navigate the rocket ship that is hyper growth? Do you want to take over your company's online presence internally and externally? Well, our friends over at Wix Enterprise can help. Wix Enterprise is a platform that provides businesses with an all-in-one solution for all types of growth and business needs. Create high-performing websites for your business, all of which are backed by enterprise grade security, as well as expert support to help you manage and scale online. Head over to Wix.com enterprise for more information. Um, without our sponsors, we wouldn't be able to do this show. 
uh, wouldn't be able to get to as many listeners. So thanks again to them. Chad, amazing round two. I uh, didn't think we could top the first one, but me personally walking away um, with several thoughts that I know I'll be soaking on. So I really appreciate it. Um, we'll see you next time. Start a puzzle. See you next time, Chad. Thanks Thank again. Thank you so much, Andrew. Appreciate it. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.